history tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in Central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spooktacular people. Welcome to this 84th episode of the History Ghost Bump podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Denise. And on today's episode, we're going to Canada and we're going to go to the Carleton County Jail. This is quite a haunted location. And of course, it has the sordid history that most jails have. This was suggested to us by our research assistants, Carbon Lilies, and they also helped us out with the research and had some personal experiences as they went on a ghost tour with Haunted Walk up there in Ottawa. Which would be amazing. I wish we could have gone with them. And Denise, on this episode, we are going to be joined by Jim Dean of Haunted Walks, Inc. It was a great interview with him. It makes me want to just hop in the car and head to Ottawa right now to do his his tour. We want to point you at our website, historygoesbump.com, has everything you could possibly want to know about the show. And Denise, if they want to contact us, how can they do that? They can do that at historygoesbump at gmail.com. Denise, over at Bazaar States, we got a second shout out and it was very, very sweet. We really appreciate the kind words that Jessica and Bowser had to say for us. And just their suggestion of our show to their listeners has been amazing. We've been hearing from a ton of people that that's exactly where they heard about us from. Yeah, so thank you very much to the both of you. They said we're like a couple of ants, and we've heard that from other people, too. We have 20 nieces and nephews who are blood, but we have a lot of adopted nieces and nephews. So I guess all of our listeners can be that. <laughs> Boy, we have a lot of nieces and nephews, but just for the record, we don't buy presents for everybody. Especially once you hit 18, you're out. And I think most of our listeners are <laughs> so, so cool. That. You're out. Once you're 18, you're out. Get out. We still love our 18 plus nieces and nephews. It's just that we had to draw the line somewhere. And Denise, Jessica was worried because I said I was going to start listening to their show, that it would soil my ears because they don't think that we curse, which we generally don't unless we're angry or if you put an electronic in front of me that's not functioning properly. Yes. If you want to see Auntie Diane, I guess we could call it. Well, it's kind of cool because I do hula and that's all aunties, all the things. But if you want to see Diane swear, break down an electronic and have her try to work with it. Cause, <laughs> but other than that, hardly ever. Yeah. The F word's an angry word for me. But there was one day that you came home and you said, this guy was this jerk to me on the road. So I called him an MF or old geezer. And I went, you said, what? And I said, did his hair set on fire? I couldn't believe Denise said MF or. I know. But the thing that's really bad about that is that not only that incident, but it seems whenever I have bad behavior, everybody applauds it. So I don't know that people should be applauding my bad behavior because that would be like a positive reinforcement for me to get bad. And Jessica, just so that you know, I listened to the last podcast on the left show. So if anything's going to soil my ears, that would be it. So you guys are just fine. I actually really enjoy their show. They have a great show over there. Mm -hmm. We do have some people to welcome to our spectacular crew. Sean. Hey, Sean. Laura. Hi, Laura. Mindy. Mindy. Nicole. Hey, Nicole. Daryl. Hi, Daryl. And Ashley. Hey, Ashley. We also got 
quite a few reviews over at iTunes. So like we did last time, we're not going to do them all right now because we'd be here all day. So we'll just keep breaking it up. And if you don't hear your review this time, you'll probably hear it the next time. Yes, because we do try to get, I know some listeners like to get right to the meat of the show. Some people like to hear the other things, but our listeners are our number one. And so we will always read what they send in or mention them. And so we figure there's a fast forward button. If that bothers you, you can just go straight to the meat. Exactly. So if you don't want to listen to this, just fast forward to you hear the music and then you're in. All right. First of all, we got this from Jack A. Boy. It's not Jackie. It's A. Jack A. Is Jack it from A Canada? Boy. A. No, it's not from Canada, though. Oh. I've never been a fan of history at all, but I'm hooked on this podcast and I love the little history than the spooky part of it. Can't wait for more famous places to be reviewed. It was super cool to hear the one on Chicago because it's just a few hours away from me and I have visited. You guys also have super relaxing voices and you're easy on the ears. This is my first review ever, so you better feel special. Well, we do. Thank you very much. We definitely feel special. And just for the record, we will be heading to Chicago for the podcasting conference this year. Which I believe is in July. So we will be in Chicago in July. So we might have to do a ghost tour meetup. And he threw in to keep up the good work. Thank you, Jackie boy. Jackie boy. And we've got Bad Dog SNH. Great host with fun, interesting topics. Five stars. I found this podcast in October 2015, a year after they first started posting. So I had the opportunity to binge listen to the episodes. I couldn't stop listening and was bummed when I caught up as I now have to wait for new episodes. The host, Diana and Denise, were a pleasure to listen to and host the topics in a way that makes you feel you are right there talking with them. I often find myself talking, laughing, answering them, or shaking my head to their shenanigans. <laughs> Uh-oh. I love that they have such a fabulous relationship with their listeners and will always take suggestions and corrections if when needed. They make history fun and interesting, and I constantly share things I learn on the show with friends and family. They give you not only the facts, but the myths and legends that go along with whatever they're talking about and allow the listeners to decide on their own. I always love This Day in History and their oddity segments and wish I lived closer to the hosts as their meetups sound fun and exciting. Two thumbs way up. Thanks for keeping me company on my daily walks. And I'm much like Denise. I refuse to listen to this podcast on my way home from work because it's in the dark. Yay, another <laughs> follower. No scary stuff at night. Except for ghost tours, of course. Yeah. Doxy Diva, five stars. Given my lifelong interest in the paranormal, I thought pretty much everything there was to know about these familiar haunts, but I'm delighted to find out that I was wrong. Diane and Denise have taught me facts that I'd never heard with the wonderful research that is put into every episode. Added to that, both hosts radiate a warmth that comes through the microphones and makes you feel as if you're having an interesting conversation with a couple of lovely friends. Thanks to iTunes featuring History Goes Bump during the Halloween season, I'm now listening to and enjoying their treasure trove of past episodes. Bravo, ladies. You got another loyal listener in me. Well, thank you. We love divas. We yes. have one in our house named Tiana. <laughs> Tiana, a little diva puppy. <laughs> and then we got a couple more reviews from Canada. That is so awesome. TARDIS Stowaway. So this must be a Doctor Who fan. We like Doctor Who ourselves. I just discovered this podcast a few days ago, and I have to say I'm very impressed. It's very well produced with great host stories and guests. Five stars. Well, thank you, TARDIS. And Dawn Shark gave us five stars as well. And she actually had given us a comment over on the website, which we had read on the last podcast. And that was the one that said that she was glad that we keep it G-rated, quote-unquote, so that she can share it with her students. So thank you, Don, for bringing that comment over from the website and putting it in the reviews over at iTunes as well. That does help us with getting noticed over there. And we got another review from the UK. And it, it looks like Fraggle, but it's 
F-R-A-G-G, and then the number one E. Five stars. Perfect mix of spookiness and history. Been binge listening to it. Thank you so much. Frag one E. <laughs> this is how I'll say it. I'll just call you Fraggle because remember Fraggle Rock? I know. I was just, <laughs> when the first time I saw it, I saw Fraggle and went, oh, Fraggle Rock. How cool. And then we got a few comments over on the fan page. Nicole let us know that she'd heard about us from Bizarre States, and she's been binge listening for the last week or so. She enjoys the calm, easy manner of speaking and the affection and respect that we have for one another. <laughs> <laughs> let me just say, I mean, that's how you end up staying together for 21 years is respect for each yeah, other. Mutual respect. Um, she said that she's also learned much and looking forward to hearing the rest. Cheers. Thanks so much for that, Nicole. Jessica also let us know that she heard about our podcast from Bizarre States and that she's loving it. Chelsea also heard about us from Bizarre States, and she was wondering if we knew anything about the Los Angeles National Cemetery. Now, we've never been there, and I haven't heard anything about them. I didn't find a whole lot, but I'm putting this out to our listeners, particularly those of you that are taphophiles and enjoy cemeteries. Have you guys heard anything about the Los Angeles Cemetery there? And uh, if there's any kind of creepy, crawly, haunting stuff going on there. I did, of course, tell her that, generally speaking, most cemeteries are not haunted, contrary to what popular belief might be. Because, you know, I mean, if you're dead, you don't want to hang out with a bunch of dead people, necessarily. And um, you know this how? <laughs> I don't. It's just my guess. <laughs> it's my speculation. Because if you're dead, you know. Da, 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 da. <laughs> I mean, I guess if everybody was a ghost, they'd be a whole group of them hanging out together, so... Uh, she also let us know that she loves the show. So thanks so much for that. And then Andrew Smith said, Hey, gals, I just found your show about a week ago, and I love it. I live a few miles away from the Antietam Battlefield in Sharpsburg, Maryland. There are tons of ghost stories surrounding the area and ghost tours of the town every weekend in the fall. My family owns a large farmhouse in the town that has been in a few ghost tour books I've found. There are bloodstains in the hardwood floors and the books report Lincoln using it as a meeting spot at least once. Can you imagine having that in your family? That is so cool. I know that Lincoln was there. That'd be pretty cool. And then he said, of course, if we ever come up to Maryland, he'd love to uh, join us for some crabs and ghosts. So we definitely will be coming to that area. And I told Andrew that Antietam holds a special spot in my, my heart because I did a special project in mm -hmm. high school on it. And so that's one place I've always wanted to see just for that reason. Is that film still in existence? That would be so cute to put. She did a whole film where they colored little plastic army guys and like <laughs> blew them up and did the whole thing. And so it'd be really great if we could somehow get that onto the spectacular page or well, the History Ghost Bump page. It's on VHS, so we'd have to get it transferred to DVD first. I've heard that that can be done. And then Jill, who had suggested our last podcast episode location, which was the Emily Morgan Hotel, said, I'm a Texan by birth, but grew up in South Carolina, making the Biltmore Estate a memorable part of her childhood. Anytime friends and family came to visit, they'd take them to Asheville. When I was eight years old, back in the 80s, Gloria Vanderbilt was starring in a commercial for her perfume. I was mesmerized by her, not because she was famous, because I had no clue who she was. It was due to how kind and beautiful she was. She just fit with the house. And she's been there around 10 times, and the last time as an adult was a few years ago. And she said it's very much worth the drive. So very that's definitely cool. on our list. Yes. All right, Denise, are you ready to go to jail? We tend to do that a lot on this show. <laughs> I know. We've turned into criminals. Become an executive producer of the History Goes Bump podcast for as little as a buck a month. 
For $5 a month, you can access exclusive content like the Haunted True Crime bonus cast. And for $10 and above a month, you get all that plus awesome History Goes Bump gear. Check out patreon.com slash history goes bump for more information. Or you can give us a one-time donation by clicking the donate button at historygoesbump.com. Charlotte Ann Moberly and Eleanor Jourdain are two women that took a tourist trip to visit the Palace of Versailles in France in the year 1901. Surprisingly, they were unimpressed with the palace and decided to visit another spot. They walked through the gardens to the Petit Trianon, but it was closed. They decided to travel the grounds instead, and as they wandered, they soon lost their way. They started to get worried, and then they started noticing some peculiar things. They saw people dressed in clothes from an older time period. Mrs. Jourdain wrote, quote, Everything suddenly looked unnatural, therefore unpleasant. Even the trees seemed to become flat and lifeless, like wood worked in tapestry. There were no effects of light and shade, and no wind stirred the trees, end quote. They got directions from a man so they could return to the Petit Trianon. As they approached it, they noticed a woman painting a picture who was wearing a sundress from a previous era. One of the women would later claim that she believed the woman was Marie Antoinette. They reached their destination and found other tourists who were wearing clothes like them, and the weird feelings the women had been experiencing dissipated. The two women believed they had experienced a time slip in Versailles, and in 1911 they wrote a book about it called An Adventure. If these women truly had a Versailles time slip, that would certainly be odd. And this day in history is by Stephen Pappas. On this day, November 24th in 1971, Dan Cooper, often called D.B. Cooper in the media, hijacked a Boeing 727 on its way from Portland to Seattle. Shortly after takeoff, he handed a note to the flight attendant that stated he had a bomb and the plane was being hijacked. He demanded $200,000, four parachutes, and a fuel truck on the ground in Seattle to refuel the plane. After releasing the hostages on the ground in Seattle, he demanded the crew to take off again with the rear door open. In the end, he jumped from the aircraft with the money and a parachute strapped to him, and the plane landed safely in Reno without Cooper aboard. He was never caught or positively identified. This led to 40-plus years of speculation and conspiracy theories about everything from his identity to what he may have done with the money. The FBI even has a 60-volume file on the event and the manhunt. To this day, law enforcement and treasure seekers are still chasing the answers to the mystery of D.B. Cooper, and he remains the only unidentified air pirate in American history. History Goes Bump Podcast. 
Ottawa in Ontario is the capital of Canada. The city has a high standard of living, low unemployment, and a rich history being the historic home of the founding fathers of Canada. Within this city is located the historic jail, known in previous years as the Carleton County Jail. Like so many older jails, treatment here for prisoners was not always humane, and men, women, and children were housed together. The jail is now a hostel known as the Ottawa Jail Hostel, but something from the past still remains. Spirits still seem to roam the hallways, and many of these entities are not happy. Join us as we explore the history and the hauntings of the Carleton County Jail. I can't imagine an old jail that's haunted and a youth hostel, or just a hostel. After seeing some movies that you've talked me into, I'd be like, uh, no, thank you. Like the hostel movie? <laughs> yes. <laughs> That'll do it. The Algonquin people were some of the first inhabitants in the Ottawa area. Ottawa sits at the confluence of three waterways, the Ottawa River, the Gatineau River, and the Radu River. This made it a coveted region. It would later become a bustling center of commerce and the timber industry. One of the men that established the timber industry was Philemon Wright. He was a New Englander who had traveled here and established the first settlement on the north side of the river in 1800. In 1826, hundreds of land speculators claimed and built up the south side of the river. They named the town Bytown after British military engineer Colonel John By. Bytown was renamed Ottawa in 1855 and incorporated as a city. In 1862, the Carleton County Jail was built. It was designed by Henry Horsey and was the first jail built in the area. It was designed in the Italianate style and was a three-story stone structure. A courthouse was built adjacent to the jail and a tunnel connected the two. The jail housed a variety of criminals ranging from minor offenses to major offenses like murder. As was the case with most prisons of the time, conditions were crowded and inhumane. 150 men, women, and yes, children were crammed into 60 small cells measuring 3 by 9 feet and 30 larger cells measuring 6 to 9 feet. There were six cells for solitary confinement. Solitary was dubbed the hole, as it is in many jails, and it was a horrid place where inmates were thrown naked into darkness and then chained spread eagle to the wall. Now, I will say there are some people that I think that would be okay for that kind of treatment. I'm thinking Jared Fogle would be a good candidate for that. Anybody of his persuasion? True. Yeah, I, I have no uh, patience for pedophiles. I believe in the death penalty for them, and so I'd have no problem with them being thrown into the darkness and uh, chained to a wall spread eagle. Yeah, or I'm always all for throwing them in the general population with a sign on them. <laughs> oh, did I say that out loud? I'm sorry. In the general population, there was usually only one meal a day, and several inmates died from the mistreatment they experienced. Death row sat on the top floor. Executions were conducted via hanging. Patrick James Whalen was the most infamous person hung at the jail, and his would be the last public hanging there. One of the founding fathers of the Canadian Confederacy was Thomas Darcy McGee. He staunchly spoke out against American expansionist motives towards Canada. Although an Irish nationalist, McGee denounced the Fenian Brotherhood in America because they felt a forceful takeover of Canada from Britain by the United States was necessary. The Fenian Brotherhood was founded in America in 1858 as an Irish Republican organization. So even though they were all Irish, McGee and this Fenian Brotherhood, they definitely had different opinions on how Canada should be governed. Exactly. 
Many believe it was these very actions that led to the only political assassination on the federal level in Canada's history. On April 7, 1868, after a parliamentary debate that went past the midnight hour, McGee returned to his boarding house on Spark Street. Finding the door locked from the inside, he had to wait for his landlady to greet him at the entrance. No sooner had Marianne Trotter opened the door than a brilliant flash went off. A thirty-two caliber bullet sliced through McGee's neck and exploded out his jaw, sending his dentures flying by sheer force. Thomas Darcy McGee fell into the street, dead. By the next night, over 40 Fenian supporters were being held for questioning, including Patrick Buckley, stablehand to Prime Minister Sir John A. MacDonald, who named Patrick James Whelan as the assassin. Sir John A. MacDonald was a close personal friend of Thomas Darcy McGee, and the validity of Buckley's accusation has been questioned. Whelan maintained his innocence the entire time, and even though the evidence was circumstantial, he was found guilty and sentenced to what would be the very last public hanging at the Carleton County Jail. In front of 5,000 onlookers on February 11, 1869, Patrick Whelan told the crowd one last time that he was innocent and that he knew who had killed McGee before being hung by the neck until he was dead. The final official execution at the jail occurred on March 27, 1946, when Eugene Larmont was hanged for killing a police detective. It is suspected that the guards were apt to take the law into their own hands at times. Yes, yeah, so so the last public hanging then was was Wyland, and then the last hanging was Larmont, correct? At its height, the jail was the pride of Ottawa. It even was considered the most effective prison in Canada. In 1972, reality set in and the jail was closed. Far from being a place to take pride in, the jail was found to be unsanitary and conditions within were deplorable. A man named John Wiley suggested that the historic structure be renovated and opened as a hostel. That same year, it opened as an international hostel under Hosteling International, but parts of the structure were kept as they had been during the jail years to preserve the history. Death Row is still as it was on the top floor, and the eighth floor is relatively unchanged. Stocks still stand outside. I would love to see it, but that would be kind of a creepy place to stay. Well, they do advertise themselves as your chance to stay in jail overnight and, you know, not actually have to be arrested to do it. Okay, that makes sense. But If you are going to stay in a jail overnight, this would probably be the best place because you don't have to, like, wear your shoes on your hands because you're afraid they're going to get stolen or that somebody's going to beat you up in the middle of the night. Well, you still might get beat up in the middle of the night, just not by anything of this realm. That could be true. Just saying. It is believed that some of the inmates who were executed here were actually innocent, and many other prisoners died from sickness and the conditions. Excavations revealed several unmarked graves. Lonely Planet claims the hostel to be the ninth most haunted building on the planet. And based on people's experiences, that might be true. The cries of women and children are heard in the basement. Now, the jail only had three official hangings. So you're thinking, okay, well, you got the Whalen guy and the Lamont guy. So there was only one other person killed there, really? And they had a death row? Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. O- official, though. That's, that's, the, that's operative the key word, word here. Official, meaning many illegal hangings took place. Prisoners had a noose tightened on their necks that was hung from a beam, and then they were thrown over the eighth floor balcony. So that could be another reason for the spirits to be at unrest here, because this was not necessarily 
again, we said that the guards like to take matters into their own hands. So Patrick Whalen's spirit is reportedly the most at unrest and he is seen on death row. The reason could be either because he claimed he was innocent or the fact that his body was never given to his family for burial in their family plot and rather was placed in an unmarked grave. And a judge had promised him that he would let his body be buried in the family plot. So they reneged on that. Mm. One anecdotal tale tells of travelers staying at the hostel specifically due to its reputation of being haunted. And after a few hours of no activity, begin to cause a scene by demanding their money back unless they could have proof of the paranormal which they had been expecting. The clerk was very apologetic and trying to explain that they paid for the lodging and not the activity and seemed to be getting nowhere. However, during the argument, the travelers got their wish. A coin which had been slammed down on the counter rose up into the air and remained suspended for nearly a minute. The guest, upon seeing this, ran from the lobby, no longer worried about having paid for the night. I think that would convince me that <laughs> I just I love the irony in it that it's like we paid to get some kind of paranormal activity here and here comes some money <laughs> floating right in front of them. It always amazes me how ghost tours have to put, you know, kind of in the disclaimer, we don't promise you'll have any kind of activity, blah, 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 blah. It's as if I mean, really, do people expect it to happen on cue? I know when people watch Ghost Hunters and ghost adventures, it seems like things are always happening. And most of the time, if it's legitimate, they've been sitting there for hours and hours and hours for that to happen. And you and I have done tons of ghost tours and had nothing happen. You know, lately we've had a couple of things, but even then it's, I don't know if that was really something for sure or not. So I just think it's ridiculous. If, If you think you're going on a ghost tour because you're going to get to see activity or get a cool picture, you're going to be sorely disappointed most of the time. Absolutely. But, you know, people are like that. They somehow think that the tour operators can control the weather, can control ghosts, can control whales, can control whatever, because every tour has that. We can't guarantee sightings of whales. We can't guarantee this. We can't guarantee this. Also, there's the vampire. A cryptic note left in a secret staircase read, I am a non-veridical vampire who will vanquish you all. One by one, I will ornate your odorous flesh with famished fangs. But who? Are there 94 or 95 steps to the ninth floor? A book on the top shelf will lead you on the right path. End quote. And below the text is a circle with an inverted code that says S3 and the little letter A. Yeah, I don't think I'd go up any steps because I would not really care to see the ninth floor at that point. (laughs) It's just, it's the most bizarre thing because... This person is claiming to be a vampire, but then they say they're a non-veridical, which means they apparently would be lying. I think that's what that means. They're a lying vampire, so maybe you're not really a vampire. And then 94 or 95 steps to the ninth floor. I don't think they'd have that many steps between floors. And if if I look at the book on my top shelf that's going to lead me on the right path, Denise, can you see what that book says on the top of the shelf there, the very top? Weird Florida. (laughs) That's going to lead us on the right path. The Weird Florida book. Of course, Weird Weird Florida would possibly be it because Bizarre States is what started launching our podcast to be more popular. Indeed, and Florida is a bizarre state. Yeah. So we have Weird, Bizarre, whatever else, you know. It's it's kind of our, our motto. Our research assistants and friends, Carbon Lilies, enjoyed a ghost tour with Haunted Walk of Ottawa, and they visited the Carleton County Jail. 
and they had a few experiences, and we want to share some of those highlights from their blog. We do have a link to their blog, which you can find at carbonlilies.tumblr.com. And also Haunted Walk Ghost and Gallows Tour is at hauntedwalk.com. And they actually are in more cities than just Ottawa. So if you're going to be in Canada and you want to do a ghost tour, I would definitely check them out. Carbon Lilies wrote, The eighth floor is the one with the claustrophobic single cells. So much unexplained activity occurred on this level. Footsteps in the hall, cell doors slamming closed and disembodied voices that no one could spend the entire night and would always leave demanding their money back. It got to the point that the hostel even offered the rooms free to anyone who managed to remain the entire night. They've never had to give a complimentary stay. No sooner had Elise finished telling us these details, and that was the name of their tour host, when a door slammed somewhere down the hall in the unused section of the floor. She genuinely looked startled. I wanted to explore down the walkway, but wasn't sure if we were allowed and hesitant to leave while needing to stay with the tour. We moved on to death row. A number of us jumped when that door slammed, including Elise. My own heart was racing, and I grabbed onto Lana's sleeve. Remember, in this partnership, I'm the girl, and Lana's actually the guy, and I had a very typical girl moment of burying my head in Lana's shoulder and then gripping her hand tightly. And then my brain immediately wandered to thinking that either a staff member had been in that hallway or that the tour guides had set up the experience just for us. So it's that open-minded skepticism that we have, too. It's like, okay, first of all, let me make sure they're not playing me here. Exactly. After the tour, I did ask Elise about the use of the hallway, and she said that the door is never used. Elise also confirmed that they hadn't set anything up to falsely surprise us. The skeptic in me is still unsure it was a true paranormal experience, but I will not deny the thrill of the moment with such impeccable timing. I also proved to myself that I am indeed a typical girl who almost cried when a door was slammed in a creepy environment. Lay sigh. <laughs> End quote. As the group had entered death row, both Lana and John could feel a very heavy, oppressive feeling. Not surprising when considering the emotions a prisoner must experience as they face certain death. At the opposite end of the death row hall is a door. The executioner would come through this door. Lana lightly touched the door and it shook and vibrated. Did Lana cause that to happen? She claims her touch was light, so had she angered someone or something on the other side. I don't know. <laughs> you know, they checked it to make sure it was a pretty solid door, and for it to be vibrating like that was not normal, and it does make you wonder. didn't want you to be anywhere near it or something. Yeah, especially ooh, just the door where the executioner comes in just sounds creepy, mm. even if it wasn't vibrating. Mm -hmm. Well, we are joined by Jim Dean, who is the creative director of Haunted Walks, Inc., and he also happens to host Haunted Talks, which you can find in any podcast catcher, iTunes, that kind of thing. I listen to it and I absolutely love it. Thanks so much for joining us, Jim. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. How long have you been doing Haunted Talks? So Haunted Talks is something uh, we just launched this year, um, early early in the spring. And it's just been, it's been an amazing experience so far. I've gotten to talk to some really interesting uh, folks recently. We talked to, um, to a psychic who kind of, you know, I went in, into it really skeptical, but kind of... Uh, maybe shook my skepticism a bit when all said and done, uh, talking to some historians and things like that. So really enjoying the chance, getting to talk to obviously things that are haunted, but also kind of weird or interesting history, as well as a little kind of maybe philosophy as well. I enjoyed the medium one, and I also enjoyed when you've had some of the tour guides and stuff on that have talked about 
some of the experiences that they've had while they've been giving tours with Haunted Walks, Inc. How long have you guys been doing Haunted Walks? So we're actually celebrating our our 20th anniversary season this year. Uh, So we started 20 years ago uh, in Kingston, Ontario at first in 1995, expanding to Ottawa, Ontario the following year. And then in the past three or four years, we've expanded to Toronto as well. So we cover all three of those cities now in Ontario. Oh, wow. So, So 20 years, have you been with it since the beginning? I've been here for about 13 now. Oh, okay. feels feels like 20-some days, but uh, <laughs> it's a great job. Just having a chance to, um, here in Ottawa, where, where our head office is based, can be a very bureaucratic town. So having the space to be creative on a subject matter that I'm really interested in, kind of the unexplained, the paranormal, the, the big kind of questions, uh, I absolutely love it. That's great. And that's what our show is about, is history and the hauntings that go with it. And one of the main things is if you don't know the history, there's no way you're going to be able to begin to understand the haunting stuff. I don't know that we'll ever know what it is all about. But if you don't have an idea about the history, then I don't even know why you'd bother. Yeah, I mean, certainly that's our our perspective as well. We do what we call more historical or real life ghost stories. So we don't have people jumping out mm-hmm. or, you know, <laughs> running after you with a chainsaw. It's more about kind of the research and understanding um, the real people who experience these situations, sometimes tragic, and how they may still be impacting these these sites or, uh, or other people today. There really are a lot of different uh, expectations as to what makes a great ghost tour. And certainly it sounds like uh, you folks are in, are in line with us. Uh, we're trying to minimize the cheese and really concentrate on um, the great compelling storytelling of, of these events. Now, the Carleton County Jail is known as the Ottawa Jail Hostel now. Is that correct? That's right. How did you guys get involved in doing tours since, you know, this is a hosteling international company that's taken it over? Did you guys approach them and say, hey, we know you've kept part of the jail as it was before. Can we come in and show people it? Or how did that work? Yeah, many, many years ago, um, kind of as we were coming up, the hostel did did a little bit of their own uh, tour program to some degree, but they, they... Realize, and I think it was a wise decision, getting professional interpretation of such a historically significant site really can add a lot of value to their property. And uh, that was about 20 years ago now. Uh, we started uh, our partnership, which is continuing on. And I think it has been extremely beneficial uh, to both of us. Uh, it's a great building for us to go into. As soon as you set foot in there, you often have a feeling of, you know, uh, something not quite being right or some maybe historical heaviness to this space, but it's a building we absolutely love giving tours of. Now, I don't know if you wanted to talk about this or not, um, if it's controversial, because I know that a couple of months ago, was it Hosteling International had decided that they didn't want to have you guys come through there anymore? Yeah, they, they had spoken to us and decided that they thought there was too much of a conflict between our tour program and uh, their accommodations side of their business. And certainly we are... Um, you know, we are very cognizant of, of their concerns. It has been a great partnership. Um, just in 2013, we won a partnership of the, uh, of the year uh, with them, as, long, as well as our partners at the, uh, the Defen Bunker, which is our Cold War uh, bunker uh, in the area, which we do a zombie adventure at during Halloween, and the Bytown Museum, which is Ottawa's oldest building and a, uh, a museum about early life in Ottawa, which was previously known as Bytown. So it has been a great, uh, a great partnership. We've raised over a million dollars um, to preserve the building. And it was a bit of a shock when they, they told us we wouldn't be renewing our contract. Thankfully, and, and you folks, we want to thank you for, for this as well. We just had a, such an outpouring of support 
where people realized that, that the jail here in town, perhaps next to Parliament Hill, which um, many of your listeners uh, may be aware of, which is uh, our seat of government, aside from Parliament Hill, Hill in Ottawa, you could certainly make the case that the old jail is perhaps the most historically important building uh, in the city, as there were three executions that were carried out there, including one of the uh, uh, quote-unquote assassin assassination uh, uh, of Darcy McGee. But uh, to update your listeners, we did uh, our, our director, Glenn, actually met with the owner of the hostel just this afternoon. Um, they had a very productive, very amicable lunch together. Nothing to announce as of yet. The situation is still unfolding, but we do certainly feel some positivity, and we're extremely hopeful uh, that we'll be able to continue tours after our contract expires on, on June, June 2016. So definitely invite folks to check out our website, hauntedwalk.com. Hopefully there will be some extremely good news to report soon. Good. We're definitely hoping for that because I know there are some people who say, well, we don't like to see money making on some of these buildings and they'll have some issues with that. But I've always embraced it because like you said, you raised a million dollars to help preserve the building because who else is going to make sure that it it stays that way? And when you love history, you love the building. So you're going to take care of them. And as I'm sure both of you are acutely aware, history sometimes can be a difficult subject to get kind of to the masses. Mm-hmm. There, ha- there has to be some hook. There has to be some connection. I think that's what you two do exceptionally well on the show. There has to be some way into the story to make it real, to make it personable, uh, personal to, to us today. And I think that's what, what the tours do. It allows us to, to show the space, explore its history, but in a really entertaining fashion. And I think that's one of the reasons we're very proud of the number of school groups we do. We have about uh, 20,000 a year uh, students here in Ottawa, just in May and June, who take the tours. And many of them, you know, it's one of their favorite things to do. And they, don't, they haven't seemed to catch on yet that we're just filling them with history while also, you know, scaring their pants off with the ghost <laughs> stories at the same time. So I think that kind, of, uh, that kind of symmetry works really well. Well, it's to us, it's what makes history more exciting because a lot of the time when I was in school, I'd get bored because, like you said, it doesn't feel like it's there with you. But when you go into these buildings, I always, when I walk into an old building, I stop and I'm like, who else has stood here before? What did they do in this room? What were they thinking? And so it makes it more real to you when you can actually be at the location. And when you share these kinds of stories, it makes it a little bit more appealing because let's face it, most people, and especially children and young people, get kind of bored when it's just the facts, man. And so you could give them a little bit of that extra seedy side or tantalize them with, maybe there's a spirit here. It makes it more exciting, I think. I think you've hit the nail right on the head there. Because often the history we do get in school is very vanilla, mm-hmm. extremely mm-hmm. so. So, And as we know, anyone who's on social media today, uh, the stories that get most shared, the photos that get most shared, all have that, that scandalous side to them. Because you know, I think most of us, kind of, even if we don't want to admit it <laughs> openly, we, we enjoy that to some degree. So bringing some realness to kind of, uh, history as far as kind of the, the darker sides or the more racy or the more risque. I, I think people really respond to that because they, as you said, they, they don't get much, much of that, you know, growing up and in their education. What I loved is when you were talking about the executions there, you said the number three, which I believe is what the official number is. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> but there were other executions that took place there as well. So at the jail, 
the story about the number of executions is an interesting one because we know the three official ones that did, that did take place, as you mentioned. There are a lot of stories, kind of, you know, urban legends about additional hangings taking place. There are some interesting features of the building, including the back stairs where the, the gallows are. Unlike the front stairs in the building, they don't have the anti-suicide bars that run up the, uh, that run up the building. So some people believe, and, it, you know, it's not, it's not too wild to suggest that maybe in the very early days of the building, you know, um, the late 1800s, that perhaps maybe even some unofficial executions took place from this one beam that runs across this one stairwell. Difficult, one of the, you know, one of the joys and frustrations of history is some stuff can be very difficult to prove. Mm-hmm. I don't think we'll ever know for certain, but it is a reasonable hypothesis. Now, because the, the top floor is death row, and you think that, well, there was only three executions, why did they have a separate death row then? Was it just, were the worst of the worst housed there with the threat that they might be put to death, or how did that work? I think it has to do with, in the early days of Bytown, which later became Ottawa, this really was one of the most dangerous places um, in North America. Uh, extreme levels of violence. I don't know if you've, either of you have seen um, uh, Gangs of New York. Yes. yes. But it kind of had that vibe here where the city is divided between upper town and lower town. And in upper town would be the English and the Scottish kind of immigrants, the wealthy, where in the lower town area, we had the, the French and the Irish. And these groups would each have their own representative gangs. Um, and some of the stories are incredible, including uh, one Irish gang dragging a, an Englishman's body out of the horse-drawn the, uh, hearse as they were taking it to intern the body somewhere and literally, you know, pulling the dead body uh, out of the carriage and, and just, you know, the, these types of things. Violence, extremely common. So I think there may have been a belief in those early days. The jail, 1872, um, the area, this area really founded starting in the 1820s. I think there maybe was a belief that this area was going to be a lot worse than it was. And when Ottawa became the capital of Canada, um, with the capital came significant investment, higher standards for, for safety and things like this as well. So, yeah, you're absolutely correct. Death row was not a popular spot. There was actually four cells that were to be used as death row. Um, and a few people were on there briefly uh, that had sentences commuted or changed. But really, it was just, as far as we know, just those three who actually spent, uh, you know, made it to that final cell and then with their final walk towards the gallows. It's just amazing to me because I've visited Canada on different occasions and the people that are just so nice and so, <laughs> and it's just like, it's just funny to think of, you know, that kind of violence that you just described going on there because every time it's like, they're just like, oh, welcome, you know, come on in. And I thought Wild West. It's basically it's, the Wild it's West. It's really there. hard for us to believe too, <laughs> to be honest. Um, and Ottawa today is just a, a beautiful city, and certainly when you think about violence, that doesn't really enter the the equation too much. We didn't have the shooting, of course, um, last October, which was which was very tragic. Mm-hmm. But nothing, nothing like those days when there was brothels almost on every street corner early on. Uh, the fighting, uh, the looting, the riots. There would often be riots in the city streets here. Wow. It's hard to imagine, but uh, you know that's uh, you know that, that's the birthright of the city here. That that's neat, yeah. Because I think of that like when I think of Chicago or New York or those, but not Ottawa, Canada. I will be honest; I've never (laughs) equated it to to that. So that's really neat for enlightening my history. So, well, we have to pick your brain a little bit. Obviously, since you're involved in this, you must have some kind of a belief in an afterlife. So, do you believe in spirits and ghosts? That's an interesting question, and 
for many years, the first question we asked when interviewing new tour guides was, you know, if someone asked you while you were working, do you believe in ghosts? How would you respond? So I've probably heard over the years thousands of different answers to that question. For myself, I, I came to this job because I did always have that interest in, in the unknown. And I think by nature, I'm a person that has a lot of questions. And at the same time, being quite uh, skeptical, not cynical, but, but skeptical, wanting to know if what we believe is true. Is there good faith for believing this? What are the reasons? Where my belief is today is very difficult. Uh, I find it difficult to say. After, uh, after the podcast we did with the, uh, the skeptic, Chris French, well, perhaps I was you know, feeling a little bit skeptical uh, about it. But at the same time, and the jail's a great example of this, where there has been so many different stories from so many different and completely unconnected people, it's clear there is something going on. Now, if that's a, a paranormal explanation or if maybe a scientific one with temperature, um, you know, electromagnetism, electricity, all the different things, I don't think we have a, a concrete answer on that. But I feel very strongly we have unanswered questions. And some spaces seemingly are different than others in what they retain, or at least how they make us feel. And I'm very interested exploring that, exploring that further. But the jail itself is a great example. Well, I've had a couple unusual things happen to me. Over the years, I've spent a lot of time in the building, even alone by myself during our Halloween season and, and things like that. And it, it always amazes me when people, you know, people staying at the hostel sometimes will, will approach us, not, you know, if we're not, not in costume, wearing our cloaks, uh, carrying our lanterns. And they'll kind of like, you know, saddle up to us and be like, you know, thinking we're just a, a historical tour guide and being like, you know, are there any, are there any ghost stories about the building? Because <laughs> this strange event really just, just happened to me moments ago. And there's been so many like that. I recall one day going there with one of my colleagues and this woman was literally leaving the hostel uh, because of her experiences the night before. She felt her bed shaking, uh, things uh, like the whole room was moving uh, she just completely freaked out, and she actually went to uh, different accom- accommodations just down the street. So it, there's always this reoccurring thing. My favorite story is my first year as a tour guide way back, uh, way back when, uh, 2003 or so. At that time, when we gave our tours, we carried um, our, our lanterns had tea light candles inside. Hmm. And these things were very rarely, if ever, bothered by the the elements outside because we would do tours in the rain the sleet the the, the snow the godforsaken snow <laughs> that's about to descend upon us and there was rarely an issue with the candles going out it happened on occasion but it didn't happen that often i noticed later uh, i think it was september or so that year it did seem to be happening more often to me uh, that i was having an issue when i was carrying my lantern into a particular cell on death row in the jail. This was, this, this was kind of the final stop for the prisoners before they'd be taken to the gallows. We, we call this Whalen cell because Patrick Whalen, who's probably our most likely candidate to be the ghost in the building, the man who was perhaps wrongfully convicted for the assassination of one of our, our government officials, Thomas Darcy McGee. Whenever I would go into this cell, I would found the, uh, the candle in the lantern would either go out completely or just die down so it was kind of just a, like a faint blue color, almost like natural gas, hmm. you know, when it's burning. And 
At first, I didn't really think anything of it, but it happened enough that I began to pay closer attention to it. And I decided I was going to conduct this experiment. And I had a, I think they were a grade seven and eight class, about that age there one day, giving them a tour. And I told them about what had been happening to me. And I convinced their teacher that she should be the one to take the lantern and lead us into Wayland's cell, see what would happen. And the teacher was actually, actually she was quite, quite confident, almost cocky uh, about the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, I'll take the lantern. So I got her in front of the cell there. I lined up, uh, she had 15 students or so. I lined them all up behind her. And as soon as she crossed the threshold of that cell, boom, candle went out immediately. She starts screaming. The kids are all, are all screaming. And I'm trying not to scream myself at that point, as I really wasn't <laughs> expecting that dramatic uh, of a result of this experiment. I eventually, you know, get the group quieted down. We finish the tour. And I'm trying in my mind, as I do, trying to, to rationalize what had happened. What are some possible explanations for this? And while on tour, the teacher mentioned, well, it must be your candle. It's a problem with your candle. Uh, and I was like, well, it was a brand new you know, candle when we started 30, 40 minutes ago. And they usually can last two or three tours. But I told her I would light the candle as soon as I got back to our ticket office, just to test to make sure that's, that's not what it was. And I lit that candle and it burned a good 10, 15 minutes before I finally rather shakily <laughs> blew it out mm-hmm. and went home for the evening. And it's just that kind of story. And people may say, well, maybe this is an issue of air pressure, air differential. Uh, certainly that, that's a possible explanation here. But I've just spent so much time in that, buildings, uh, in that building where there are moments where it's like, you know, the, the hair on the back of your neck suddenly just stands up, you know, while you're thinking about like what you're going to get for lunch or, you know, something totally unrelated to the paranormal side of the building. Sure. And for me, it's that feeling that is most authentic. There is something unique about that place. Wow, thank you for sharing that. We're open-minded skeptics ourselves. So we always look for the other explanation before we automatically go, oh, you know, what was that? It's a ghost. Yep. But like you said, that feeling, and I, I know exactly what you're talking about because we've felt that before too, where it's just nothing can make the hair on the back of your neck stick up unless you are afraid of something or something is causing some kind of a charge or something of that nature near you. Like you said, if you're thinking about lunch, generally the hair on the back of your neck doesn't stick straight up. <laughs> one, of, one of my other favorite stories actually has to do with, uh, this isn't an overly dramatic one, but uh, during Halloween, uh, usually one of us is up on, on the top floor, which is the, the, the floor we tour of the old jail. And uh, so we have a door at the top, we climb up the stairs, and we open the door. Usually we have a person positioned there to kind of monitor crowd flow, um, you know, keep everything running smoothly. And our director was up there one night, just on the other side of the door while the group was telling this, this story in the stairwell about to make their entrance. When all of a sudden there was this really loud knock on this heavy wooden door. So the, my director, he opens the door, sticks his head out, just in time to see the tour guide kind of looking at him with her, you know, her eyes bulging, both of them accusing the other of knocking on the door. And it's, it's just these little things like this are so prevalent in that building Definitely encourage anyone who's interested, uh, obviously, to do the tour, but stay the night. Uh, I've stayed over there a few times. We even got a Ouija board at once, uh, which was interesting. I'm not sure how much I believe in Ouija boards, uh, but definitely worth a stop if you're here in Ottawa. Yeah, but I don't think I'll tempt the spirits, but um, 
<laughs> I definitely want to see the old jail. Yeah, it's Denise's thing. Don't death the spirits. <laughs> I wanted to ask you, too, we'd heard about the quote-unquote vampire that supposedly had stayed there in the jail and had left a message on the wall. Could you give uh, us some yes. more details about that? And if you guys have any, you know, when I looked over what was written there, I was like, okay, is this person, were they schizophrenic or were they playing or is this something that, you know, was real? And that's a great question. And it really opens up the other side of uh, the building you could talk about, which is this idea of urban legend mm-hmm. versus, versus history. Because I, I mean, I usually know the answer to that, which is the hostel was doing a scavenger hunt. And they left up this notice, um, this notice in the stairwell, which got left up for a couple of years. And then someone came back and saw it later. And there's really no mystery at all. There's, there's no supernatural side to that story. There's another location in the hostel, which sometimes you hear about online, referred to as the oven, which was this small space they would use as a, a punishment space, kind of, you know, uh, extreme, extreme heat being used from the boilers to kind of, you know, punish the prisoners in this way. But again, we would love for that to be true, but there's just, there's no evidence uh, of that to be found. Another, another one comes to mind, whereas uh, I'd read somewhere where someone was saying that the, the basement of the jail was used to house patients during, I believe it was a malaria outbreak. But again, there's no official records of anything like that happening. So I think the jail kind of like maybe... Um, Alcatraz would be an easy easy comparison or these other kind of sites we affix with additional meaning often if it's dark or or paranormal they sometimes get infused with this like you know little bits are added in here and there uh, as it happens to all stories over time but with the jail it's been really interesting for me over 13 years to see what kind of what kind of stuff is being said versus the type of stuff we believe in good faith we could tell on a tour and it's interesting that some, in some cases, like the vampire stairs story, um, which I believe was also tied to a, um, a children's uh, fiction book uh, as well. You know, none of this stuff, or as far as we know, because we wish it were true, none of this stuff we've been able to come to terms with ourselves as it being likely to have happened in the building. Well, and that's good to know, because like you said, when you go back and you look through history, I mean, there's times I've pulled my hair out because even looking at census reports, which you would think have all of the information, it depends upon what people put down on their censuses. And so you, you get, you know, five different answers to one thing and it's like, OK, well, which one's true? And like you said, when it comes to urban legends, all it takes is one person going with the story and then it's like telephone. <laughs> Everybody adds on their own little piece to it. And before you know it, it's this huge, crazy thing. So the That's it. I think if, you, if, you, if you're a, his, a serious historian or you want to try to be as accurate as possible, being a detective is such a, such a big part of it. Another example about the jail would be there was a book published many, many years ago which mislabeled the location of the jail on a, on a map of downtown Ottawa. And this led, because executions were carried out in the jail, that it kind of the, the story we still, we haven't heard as much recently, but certainly early on when I worked for the Haunted Walk, the idea that there were these unofficial uh, executions at, at this secret kind of location, which as far as we can tell is absolutely not true and all traces back to this one reference point where they just screwed up on a map. Uh, so history is so interesting. It's definitely something that's alive and always changing. And uh, it's just fascinating to see kind of how urban legend and history collide. I'm wondering where people got the idea about 
the supposed immigrants that were down in the basement? Because I've heard that some of the experiences people have had there is they hear women and children crying in the basement. And I don't know if they just threw in the immigrant story to go with that. Or if these were, because the jail did house men, women, and children, correct? Yeah, absolutely. And that's a great question. What I would say to that is that what we know as historical fact is that women did stay in that jail. They usually had their own floor or their own, their own segregated area. And that moved, moved around in the bit um, in the jail at various times. But children stayed alongside, you know, the adults mm-hmm. with the gender segregation. But you'd have, I think it was the youngest, the youngest kid in there was seven or eight. Wow. And just imagine a seven or eight year old alongside these other, you know, kind of petty thugs uh, who are in for like drunken disorderly or, th- you know, theft, these kind of minor charges. You can, you can, it wouldn't be hard to predict that a lot of these, these really young kids who went in there would develop friendships, often kind of not, not predatory, but abusive in the sense that they would co-opt these kids kind of into the gangs or, mm-hmm. or into crime as well. So children and adults definitely stayed in the building, women there as well. And you are right. We do get some of the reports we do here are about children or or women. Well, very good. I'm glad you cleared that up because I'd heard something about, I think it was, like you said, it was either scarlet fever or some other disease that they thought people were bringing in. And I thought, well, that's kind of weird that they would put the immigrants down in this jail in the basement and just leave them there. (laughs) Yeah. And it's another, it's a case too where, and maybe I'm rambling on too much about history, where, where the jail is right now that we tour which was uh, opened in 1862, there was a, a jail the city used before that right next door that burnt down um, mid-1850s or so. Uh, so sometimes the stories about the two jails kind of get, get stuck together as well because the conditions in that first, I mean, the conditions in the current uh, jail that stands now um, that, that we tour, the living conditions there were clearly awful, mm-hmm. extremely small cells, uh, you know, washroom facilities, extremely limited. You'd have a bucket, things like that. Not, not, not much space. I mean, really, really minimal. But the older jail before that was even worse. So I think sometimes these stories become a cobbling together kind of of a few things that are similar and suddenly they become all about one thing, if you know what I mean. Exactly. Well, Jim, I want to thank you for giving us your time and sharing your stories and especially telling people about the haunted walks that you guys do there. Where can they go to the, where's the website they can find out more information about that so they can book tours when they're up in that area. Yeah. And certainly it's been my pleasure today. A huge thank you uh, to you uh, for having me on the show. Our website is hauntedwalk.com. You can find out all about the tours there. Podcast links are on there as well. And on social media, of course, people can look for us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And how often is your haunted talks up? Do you do that once a month or every other week? It kind of depends a bit on what else is going on. I got a sure. little slowed down in the, the lead up to <laughs> Halloween and the aftermath. But I'd like to kind of do two episodes or so a month. Okay. Um, I'm interviewing actually um, Adam, you may know him, Adam Selzer um, from Chicago, uh, who wrote uh, recently book, wrote the book Ghosts of Lincoln. Uh, so he's going to be the next guest we're going to be speaking to. And uh, Lincoln's always been a int- really interesting character to me, even though I'm Canadian. Um, so really looking forward to talking to him next. Well, thank you so much. You have a great evening. And uh, I look forward to listening to your interview and your further haunted talks. I've really been enjoying the show. Yes, Thanks thank so much. you so Take much. Care. All right, bye-bye. Are the inmates of the jail still here? Is the hostel housing more than just guests? Are there restless spirits here? Is the Carleton County Jail haunted? That 
is for you to decide. Well, I look forward to checking it out. I don't think I would be staying there. Number one for me is I don't do the hostel thing. <laughs> I know you did them when you were over in Europe, but I just, I like to be in a nice hotel. Yeah, you don't like to share bathrooms. You don't no. like to, yeah, we were like four or five to a room when we went over to Europe. Yeah, that's just not my thing anymore. When I was younger, I'd be fine with that kind of thing. But now that I'm older, it's like, no, I like to be comfortable and in my own room. Thank you. And preferably not with a ghost. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we stay up in Savannah and St. Augustine all the time. I will have to admit, when I was up in Savannah that weekend by myself, I was like, huh. <laughs> it wasn't right in Savannah, but on the outskirts. But We are so glad that you guys joined us for this one. I've been your host, Diane. And this has been Denise. You take care now. Bye-bye. Executive producers of this episode have been Levi Drescher, Dan Foytek, Janice Carlson, Stephen Pappas, Heather Williams, David Ann Student, Amy Connor, Tanya Turner, Nicole Johnson, Leanna Sapien, Jade Lewis, April Rogers Crick, Laura Davis, Seth Crawford, Tracy Duhon, Josh Wood, Laura S., and Barbara Metz Goudreau. Thank you. Society's Rise and societies fall. When the time comes, one society steps forward to build a better future. The Wicked Library, Kettle Whistle Radio, Night Story Podcast, Prog Watch, Red Horse Radio, The Lift, History Goes Bump, Listen, the M Writing Podcast. Society 13. Rebuilding society. One podcast at a time. Fan of the show? Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast catcher. We would greatly appreciate your review at iTunes as well to help the show grow. Thank you.